Hi, I'm Brock Lurie, and this is the Brock Lurie Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So today, one of the, one of the most important elements that we deal with um, is understanding imperfections in our various institutions, right? Um, we, we talk about also about God and how if you don't believe in God, you have uh, all these isms to believe in, socialism, communism, uh, environmentalism, uh, animal rights activism, and such. So what is the... What is the, the new God? And when I say by new God, I mean, as a, as a general proposition, what is the new God where nothing about it is, is wrong, it's all perfect, and you, you shall not question it, okay? I'm, of course, I'm not talking about God himself. I'm talking about something much more general. But what is the new God? And I've discovered what it is, Ari. It is, wait for it, wait for it, Science. Science is the new God, right? And you've heard it many times, right? An atheist will tell you, and very proudly and very, uh, maybe not arrogantly so, but, but uh, as if they're trumping you and just, you know, putting their hand in your face and saying, I, I'm a man of science. I believe in science, right? And therefore, all your, you know, to suggest that everything else is mumbo jumbo, Right? Science, thank you very much. That's the answer for everything. Thank you. All right. But what they're not realizing as they're saying is that they're actually making science their God. You believe in science, you say, but what is science? Right? I mean, I think that believing in God is part of, the, uh, part of that science. In fact, science is a tool to find God. Our very, our very reason that we have curiosity and a desire to learn science and to explore for that matter is because in reality what we're doing is we're, we're, giving the to, we're using the tools that God has given us to find God, to understand God better. That's all science is if you actually, if you actually ask the question to yourself. And most people don't even pose the question, why do we have science at all? Why do we want to study science? And why do you say, I believe in science for that matter? But why do I say science is the, is the new God? I'll tell you. Because when it comes to the police, they're very imperfect, right? I mean, if you were to look at uh, Black Lives Matter movement and all the things that you heard about uh, Ferguson and, and otherwise, the, 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 the portrayal of the police as being a venerable institution, th- that has faded away quite a bit, right? It's all, it's all gone. It's, it's a faded memory from days long gone. Back in the 1950s, the police were venerated. Now, well, they're looked on with suspicion. They shouldn't be, of course. We, you and I love the police. We, we thank every day uh, that the police exist there to protect us. We would not have a law and order without police and so forth, but that's not the point. People look at the police as an evil enterprise. Okay. Likewise with the court system. Right? These judges constantly rule in a way that we, we find to be contemptible, whether it's uh, for, for political reasons or it's for greed reasons or it's because they don't, care, they don't have a, a moral backbone. The court system has also lost its veneer of perfection. And then uh, likewise with um, uh, religious institutions, of course. You have, you have to look no further than what happened with the Catholic Church and the, um, the horrible molestation situation going on. And they make no excuses for it. It was horrible. Okay? So even the Catholic Church, and for that matter, and, and by extension, all religion has lost its veneer of perfection. 
And there are other institutions too we can talk about. But those are the, the three major ones that I, I can think of immediately coming to mind. And yet the human mind desires perfection. It desires a, a, a platonic absolute. You know what I'm talking about, the platonic forms? But Plato came with the idea. He said, uh, "Just for the listeners, I, I responded with a totally blank stare." And <laughs> that's Barack true. I will vouch for he that. He was talking to someone who hadn't gone to college, and so <laughs> no. The platon- okay, all right. It's, it's, it's a very simple concept, and you'll like it. Plato said, "Look, there are forms out there, and and he mentioned in the universe the the, the notion of the perfect circle, the perfect triangle, the perfect square, right?" And try as you might to make the perfect circle, no matter what, how fancy a computer you may have, it will never be perfect. And that's correct. You can draw it all day long and you will never get a perfect circle. Same thing with the rectangle, same thing with the triangle, whatever it is. And, and by extension, to other things at all, you know, you, you'll never have perfect love, for example. It may be very good love, but it won't be perfect. And you won't have the perfect color red, for example, whatever that means, Right. So the the but there's this instinct that there is a perfected uh, circle, a perfected rectangle out there. In many ways, I believe that's what the movie Two Thousand One was all about. In, in the book, they re- refer to the monolith, the famous monolith, as being so exquisitely perfect. And the movie can't capture that because it, it only shows it, and it looks perfect, but they don't focus on its perfection. In the book, it does focus on its perfection and how difficult it was for. For, the, for anyone who gazed upon it to deal with it because it was so perfect. Anyway, I, the point is that the mind gravitates toward perfection. And it needs, it needs that platonic form, if you will, of this notion that out there is something that is perfect and it's always right. And I put it to you that given all the flaws of the religious institutions that we've now imposed, that the veneer is off of that, the veneer is off of the police, the veneer is off... Um, uh, the judicial system and, and many other institutions, we still want something. We crave for something. And the, the last thing that's still there and the new God is indeed science. And it's this notion that science can never be imperfect. Science is always right because it's all about numbers and it is what it is, they say. But it's, I, I put that to you that not only can science be wrong very often, but Today's science is more, um, what's the word? More, I'm more skeptical, skeptical of science than ever before. It is now more corruptible than it ever has been, and it's reflected that corruption more and more over the past few decades. How do I say this with such confidence? Because of, of two things. One, the whole argument for evolution and the whole argument for climate change slash global warming. Those two, and, and, and there are other things, but those are the two that we can focus on today. You cannot possibly tell me that you believe that, that, that the science is perfect in its analysis of how we came to be, that meaning evolution, or what we have to fear for in the future, meaning climate change. You cannot possibly tell me that they got it right and there's no denying it and they, they must have it completely right. It's just not possible. There's too many, there are too many facts that, that undermine the notion of pure evolution, random evolution that is, and there are too many facts that undermine climate change. But yet they, they still advance this. 
and you, you, try to, you try to argue with somebody about climate change or evolution, and they look at you with these bizarre eyes like you're crazy. And, oh, they, they finally met that crazy person who doesn't believe in evolution. That's, that's, they're actually excited about that because they want to they feel good about themselves. They're superior to you because you're an idiot for not believing in pure evolution, for not believing in climate change, right? This is who they are. But, but you, actually, you actually engage them and say, well, how do you, in the, on, the, on the evolution side, for example, how do you explain the, the Cambrian explosion, which completely defies every notion of evolution? How do you explain uh, the, the human eye and the exquisiteness of that? How do you explain the, the probabilities that we are to be there? We, we've talked about this at length. And the odds of life just happening randomly are just so, so staggeringly small. It's not enough to say, well, yeah, it's random but, and staggeringly small, but it happened nonetheless. And here we are to talk about it. That's not a good answer anymore. That's, it's, it's, it's not bordering on mythology and magic. It is mythology and magic. Because you, you are far more likely to see a flying horse than you are to establish that, that the likelihood of life happening randomly like this, far more, okay? So, but you try to argue with, it, with them and they will push back with you in a way as if, as if you're, you're challenging a Scientologist, right? Science versus Scientology, it's a good, now that I think about it, it's kind of good to put them, those two together. It's as bizarre it, it, the argument that they make that science is the answer and it's always perfect in order to fit the evolution argument and the global warming argument, it's as bizarre as believing Scientology. How do you like that? Crazy, right? But it's true. It, to believe that, that life happened randomly and that we can, and not only does life happen, happen randomly, that it also then reproduced itself, right? And then it mutated for, for, for better and better um, uh, mutations and the survival of the fittest and so on. And all the while, all the, all the evidence and the fossils of these mutations just disappear. And all, the, all that we do have fossil-wise are these jumps uh, from one species to the other, that there's whole species that they're not these, these uh, intermittent species that, that would be required to show the change from one species, yeah, a species within the other, right? We don't have that. So again, you have to explain that. Why are they all missing? Why don't we have that three-headed man yeah, skeleton? And, and what you're saying is, and I think this is so beautiful, as I saw a wonderful um, uh, Facebook post and that said, if evolution was true, then why do we have a whole bunch of these and a picture of a monkey a whole bunch of these pictures of human beings, but none of these. Right. All the, the things the, in the fam- between. Yeah. The famous gradual evolution. And what evolution, you're saying yeah. is, not only do we not have them alive walking around, there are no fossils of them. Right. We're finding fossils of even dinosaurs right. and and um, you know uh, nautiluses and uh, all sorts of you know ancient primitive forms of life right. in some fossil record in the layers of the Grand Canyon and everywhere else around the world. But somehow they can't find a transition species between th- that that was between monkey and man. Right. No transition. Not, none. No. None. Not, not one. Right. Not one. Now, and you but, and I would maybe call them liberals, but... <laughs> eh. 
<laughs> Generally speaking, liberals, uh, you know, uh, are tied to that. There are, I suppose, a couple of conservatives who believe uh, believe that too. No, but, I mean the that liberals are those species in between oh, monkey see. and human. That's, oh, very cute. <laughs> no, no, let's be fair to our liberal listeners. Uh, the point is, that, but the, what they do need to understand, whether they're liberal or not, is that you are engaging. If you believe that science explains evolution and that's the answer, then then you're truly you're forcing fits that are so bizarre that you might as well believe in Scientology, not science, but Scientology, yeah. because that's pretty bizarre. We all agree that Scientology has a, a bizarre fiction behind it. But but evolution is equally bizarre. Think about it. it what's, really the, is. what's the difference between evolution and Scientology? Because you have to believe in this fiction, this fantasy that makes no sense at all, that, that has zero evidence to it, right? Zero. And, and, and you, and they, but you dare to laugh at Scientologists? Why? Same thing with the, the global warming business. There's, I mean, evidence upon evidence shows that, that there is not the warming trend that they all predicted. Then they have to ex- explain also that there was global cooling before it was global warming. And then, of course, there's the political reasons why it became global warming and not global cooling, and that was because they wanted to control carbon emissions. And in order to establish that, you have to say that it's a warming trend, not a cooling trend. So that's why they call it global warming. You know, no one talks about that. But you're a man of science, right? So that's good enough, right? But that's a fantasy. It's all fantasy. You you have to believe that that uh, it's, it's nonsensical. But that's why I say it's science is the new god. And I put God in this case in quotes because and, and, the same way they yeah the and same spelling way spelling it with a lowercase g. I guess so. That's right, lowercase g, because the same way they mock the mythical gods and and for that matter our Judeo Christian God, uh, they they mock it. They say it's so simplistic and so silly and it's all hocus pocus and it's it's uh, you know the the universal butler and uh, Santa Claus equivalent and such like that. That that's what but that's what they're doing. The evolution is is exactly all those things, and that's why I say that is science is the new god with a small g. That's a good good example. Now, how do we? And we we're saying it's getting worse and worse because, um, in the same way that we, we talk about modern art, right? There's a great Prager University video exactly on this issue, and it talks about how modern art has been unmoored from the general classical rules of of art. Uh, that there are certain composition requirements, certain centering requirements, certain theme requirements, and even Impressionism observed these basic rules. But modern art decided to unmoor itself all the more. So you got to the point where there's no centering in terms of theme, there's no centering in terms of actual subject matter, and there's no um, centering, uh, there's no um, a theme in terms of, uh, of any subject. It could be about anything. You could you could bring in a leaf one day and say, "This is my masterpiece," okay? Or a, a candy wrapper. I've got a give me ten thousand dollars for this candy wrapper. Why? Because it's art, and I've decided it so. That's how crazy it is, right? But science has become just like modern art. It has become unmoored from its general rules, the rules that that require the the rigorous testing, right? to prove what a, a, a theory should be versus a law should be, like the law of gravity, right? The law of relativity and such like that. It, but but you, you know how in the Catholic Church they have rules. You, you, you become beautified, right? 
and then you can then that's the next step to becoming a saint, I believe, right? And being a saint, it's pretty cool, right? But there are rules associated with that. You don't just say, "Hey, I feel like it," because yeah. I think that's kind of neato. For instance, you have to be dead. Right, that's one thing. That's a hard one to. Well, but you know. you also have to establish certain miracles. It's it's a kind of a cool process. I really respect it. Yeah. But but, but, but nevertheless, it has standards. It's a, it has standards, yeah. right? But science, you know, they they go through a, a similar process, or at least in the old days they used to, where they would say, okay, well, your your theory is an interesting one, and there are certain rules, and I, you know, forgive me, I just don't know exactly what those rules are. Yeah, but are. things but like they, peer review peer and, and review, a certain yeah. amount of, and, and this is a big one yeah. for, for almost anything in life, a certain amount of time has to pass right. to give your theory a chance to be proven or unproven in right. real world circumstances. Right. It's kind of like a player entering the Hall of Fame. You might right. have had a really good career, but do you stand up against the test of history? Right. No. That's right. You you have to be uh, both subjectively and subjectively subjectively worth it. Yeah. Right? To, to, uh, deserving of it at least. And for a theory to become a law, well, then certain criteria have to occur, and we don't have to list that out right now. But 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 there are there there were at least these very big important requirements. But now when it comes to global warming, nobody talks about that. It's they they say they don't call it the law of global warming, right? But they act as though it, it were a law of global warming, and they want us to all change all of our lives and make massive amount of regulations, and 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 that's great according to them. Okay, but yeah, that's, and, and so but that's that's thinking like you're, it's like you're praying to this god called science because uh, you know God doesn't have these rules in the same way, other than Ten Commandments, of course. But in their mind, God is this this mythical creature that provides all these goodies and and silly little rewards and 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 it makes magic happen. That's the way that I'm, I'm talking about the cartoonish version of God. Right. And and you make such a powerful, incredible point in this because what you're saying is that modern science is requiring two things that we give God because God has been proven to be worthy of these things: our faith and our allegiance. Right. Ignoring for uh, that that science, by definition, by its existence, does not deserve either faith or allegiance. It's only what is provable. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. That's and that what must it is. be so manning for you as an attorney, where you operate in a realm called the courtroom, where yeah. things have to be provable. <laughs> you, you've heard me many times on this podcast and on my Sunday show, where I, I go through the process of proving or disproving a certain point. Because uh, I like evidence, and I've always been a man of evidence, and, and that, that you can do. I'm, not, I'm a man of science also, but in, in the real sense. I like evidence, and be, precisely because I like evidence, precisely because I like science, precisely because I like proof, I believe in God. I know that there's a God, precisely for those reasons. But, but the, these people just, so many of them, they make science their God. It's, it's uncorruptible. Nothing bad could ever. Scientists have said so, and therefore must be right. So, and these are the same people who laugh at the idea of Catholics thinking the Pope is infallible. Right. The oh, Pope yeah, said sure. so. Thus, yeah, Well, exactly you're right. an idiot. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but they say 97 percent of scientists agree on on X issue, and therefore it's right. You see, because science, because 97 percent of scientists, they get to say, well, that's science with a capital S, and it's it's in big quotes, and it's italics, and it's bold. And therefore, science has said this as if it's its own separate entity out there, right? As if, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a god, right? That, that it's a platonic form, science, 
has told you that. And, and now you will bow down to what science tells you. But you're not allowed to question it. And if you ask these, I mean, and, and the way people react when you question it, they call you what a, a Holocaust denier. A denier. A denier, right? right? This is the same language that people use um, when, when they come to the God language, right? You, you are a... Right. Where are all those people denying gravity? Right. I'm just wondering. Right. If, if you're these, a heathen, right? I mean, yes. it, it's more like you're a heathen if you don't believe in global warming. The, and you're an apostate if you don't believe in pure evolution. Uh, and at best, you're just simply an idiot, according to their yeah. interpretation. And, and they it. will literally, or excuse me, they will figuratively burn you at the stake or put you through other forms of witch trials of, of fire or water. Basically, what's so interesting about that, uh, metaphorically, is these are uh, elemental trials. Right. You know, that was why trying witches with water and fire was so, you know, kind of divine, if you will, because they were testing the witch for her witchiness with an element right. that a human can know, there's, has no way of surviving. Yeah, so they, they do the same thing. If you disagree with this or you deny that, they will destroy you professionally. They will cast you out of society. They will, like Scientology or other cults, destroy your relationships with your friends and families. And you will be an exiled outcast, doomed to walk the world blind and alone to the right. end of your days. So how did this all come to pass that science has become the new god? I mean, now we're getting a little bit into the weeds, but it's very interesting. It's actually a very simple story. What had happened was that the uh, liberal mantra has, has advanced this notion that uh, they, they, they wanted to believe certain things. They want certain regulations to pass. They, and they, they can't really get it with the hearts and minds of the people. Um, and this whole notion of capitalism and this whole notion of freedom, it's an obstacle to their mission, right? So um, what better way to, to convince them than to say that science tells that this is what you must do? A science tells you that evolution doesn't exist, uh, that there is no God. Science tells you, sorry, that evolution is the real thing, and therefore there's no God. Science tells you that there's climate change, and therefore we need to control everything. Uh, science tells you that uh, there's all sorts of uh, sexuality, and we should explore them all, and including the anus for that matter, and we should be teaching it as much in the schools as we can. And yes, there's a appropriate age level stuff, but uh, it's, it's changing a lot. And science tells us that uh, it, it's very repressive not to allow people to explore it. And so therefore you have that. Science tells us that um, men and men are, men and women are no different than each other. Therefore, uh, let's, uh, let's obliterate uh, our previous distinctions between men and, and women, including the marriage distinction. And on and on it goes. So science is the tool with which they can now amplify their agenda, right? And transform us all. And transform us all. Now, um, now they discovered this. This was a tool, right? I mean, it's suddenly, it reminds me a little bit of what they did with um, the deficit or the debt in, in, the, in the 60s. They, the, the government was awash in debt, but there was a separate account called the Social Security account. And they said, well, we've got this other thing. And if we just include, lump that into the national coffers, well, then, it, then we don't have that much of a debt, do we? In fact, we have a surplus. Suddenly there was a surplus because they included the Social Security thing. It was a tool that allowed them to accomplish an agenda, right? Same thing happened with science. They discovered science, this untouched, un untouched, previously pristine area. 
it could serve our purposes. And so that's precisely what they started doing in the 60s and the 70s and amplified even more with Al Gore and everything else for the climate change. It serves their purposes and it serves that very well because people like to feel very intelligent, right? And they, they like to say, I'm a, I'm a person of science. I'm in the know. You're in the know. And it appeals to your scientific, rational way of thinking. And therefore, well, look, science is, is saying this. So you, 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 never, you need to get on board with the, the liberal agenda, whatever that agenda might be. Yeah, and they also had a problem, which is this. Over the, the course of history, uh, the main argument between capitalism and its alternative was that, that they, uh, the, the classic argument was over which way of running an economy would produce uh, prosperity for the most people. Right. Well, unfortunately for our ideological opponents, their methods um, came up short, let's just say, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. So rather than having the argument, if you will, settled science, that capitalism and free markets were the way for more people to be prosperous at all times, they decided to find a way to assault the very notion of prosperity yeah. using scientific methods. Well, you realize what your prosperity is doing to planet Earth? <laughs> oh, now you don't want prosperity, do you? Now that you know the true cost. Right. And then the environmental uh, environmental argument has made this point, and yes. and and everything has to be done with an environmental impact study, and uh, yeah, and we all using science into the, yeah. the other things that we've discussed in podcasts past about how prosperity actually leads to <coughs> cleaner environments, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. beside the point. We're just explaining how it got to the point of of using science as the substitute god in all these things to accomplish there you go. left wing agendas. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So now, in addition to that. Okay, then there became the notion of grants, right? So suddenly the government is giving grants to this or that professor or this or that scientist. Yeah, to the right kind of scientist. To the right kind of scientist, right? So they're saying, listen, we'll give you this grant so long as you advance Proposition X. And, well, gosh, you know, I I like that very much. Uh, I'm going to get $100,000, maybe $800,000, to establish Proposition X. And that's going to feed me and my family. And guess what? I suddenly think that there is Proposition X happening. That's usually global warming nowadays and maybe even the evolution argument we talked or about. Or the validity of transgenderism. Whatever left-wing cause it is, right. the government suddenly steps in and the scientist who finding comes out with the left-wing result gets the grant. Right. We've been awarded a grant by the government, which is no doubt also the pristine... Uh, uncorruptible institution, right? We talked about that right. as well. So naturally, it's it's you're you're going to expect more research studies proving Proposition X. It, that, that we, the fact that we have to explain this on a podcast or on our, our Sunday show or otherwise, it, it's kind of like again, we, it's the world of explaining things all over again, right? This is this is the age we live in, that you have to tell people that they're that they're being suckered. And that the way things work is, is destructive. But you have to kind of lead them down the way and say, don't, don't you realize the government will never, ever award people a lot of money to, to, to let them discover on their own whether global warming is real or not. And you do what you need to do. Whatever the conclusion is, sir, that's your business. Okay? We just want the truth. Said no government study ever. Never. Okay? <laughs> they don't care about that. They, they, want, they want one thing. Now, hang on uh, this one point, because this is a, a critical point. 
it's just like expert witnesses. Okay, I, I'm a lawyer, and sometimes we need expert witnesses. Uh, why? For example, to, to determine the valuation of a business at the time of a breach of contract, because that will establish the damages, just as an example. What was the valuation of this, this uh, business when this partner left the, the business? And what, so he's, he's a one-third partner. What is one-third of the value of that business, right? So we need to get an expert to, to testify to that. And the expert will correctly say, well, who are we representing? And I'll say, well, we're representing the remaining two partners. Uh, so naturally, we want to establish that the valuation it could not possibly be as close as uh, the valuation of this, as this person who's leaving. In fact, we think it's, it's actually negative. And we'd like you, Mr. Expert, to establish that. Right now, we want the truth, Mr. Expert. We, we, we want to be able to be as, as convincing to a jury and we want to be as fair in, in mind. We don't want to invent any information. That's true. And in that sense, it's as impartial as we can be. But still, his, his mission is clear. He wants to show that their sense of valuation is wrong and our sense is, is correct. And we pay him to do that. Why, why is that any different than the grants that you give to a scientist to prove a certain point? What, what is he going to do? Say, no, I, I don't feel like it. I, I, I'm so pure at heart. I will not take your money because I don't believe in that. Or, uh, frankly, if I do take your money and then prove the, the opposite of what you're asking me to, that's like a, a lawyer asking an expert to, to come to certain conclusions, and he comes out with the exact opposite conclusion. It's just not going to work. We didn't hire you for that purpose. And what you should be saying is, you know, Mr. Lurie, Mr. Smith, whoever the lawyer is, I cannot in good conscience uh, be an expert because I don't believe that this actually leads to that conclusion. Hire another expert if you like but I don't think you'll win here. Uh, and by and large, and here's the good news in the law, because the law is actually pretty accurate. And the reason why experts end up telling more or less the, the, the truth is, um, is because there are so many checks and balances in the process that they have to kind of go with their background. And, and if they've testified many times before on previous issues on the other side of it, that looks embarrassing, right? If they've been shown to be a, somebody who has been fraudulent, that expert will also that'll be that'll be brought up in court as well. The jury also will look to see whether or not he's, you know, uh, overreaching or shifty. Um, and the, of course, the opposing side will challenge the expert himself as well. So and they'll present their own experts. Exactly. They're so so too. yeah. And so by and large, what the expert testimony is is there are different. Ways. For example, in the valuation example I just gave you, there are different kinds of valuation methods. There is the income method. There's the accounting accrual method. There's the comp method and such. And he'll say, I prefer the income method for various reasons, and here, here's why it's more reliable. And as a result of that, if you factor all these things in, here's the number. And, and, and it, there's a lot of you know, subjective criteria in that. But you'll end up with a higher number in one case and a lower number in the other based upon the valuation techniques you, you use. None of it is a lie. There's just simply different approaches to it. Yeah, but also... In the jury of public opinion versus the jury of the courtroom, we only get one side's Well, there case. you go. That's, that's, that's my point. That's the big thing. But unlike, a jury gets actually both sides of opposing and gets to split the difference and figure out the truth yes. of preponderance or reasonable doubt. That's right. They have both sides. And that's yeah. my point. And you jumped ahead of me to do it. That's okay. Well, that's because you're such a good uh, educator. I figured it out, <laughs> even though bad. I didn't know that platonic, whatever that platonic you know, fancy form. talk yeah. was. <laughs> the, the point is that unlike the jury situation, at least in the jury situation, we have a 
you know, a, a, a competing battlefield to, to, to keep us honest, as it were, right? But when it comes to grants and such, where are the grants that are going to a competing thing? We, you know, to make it truly honest, the government, with a capital G, should be giving that same $100,000 grant to another entity to say, prove to me otherwise that the climate change is not real, right? Let's see. And then, and then you know, the, the public can see it. Well, here are the two different uh, studies that, that have been done with competing agendas. Let's see uh, what you believe, ladies and gentlemen of the public. But that's not happening. The government has one key agenda, and that is to prove that the point that global warming is real and it's happening, and 97% of scientists agree, which is itself disingenuous, that whole mantra. See the Prager University video about that. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Because at some point, science becomes the new god. You, you, you just believe unfalteringly that that what they're putting out is real. You don't look to why they're, why they're saying these things. You don't look to any agenda, you, and you certainly don't look to, to the money that's going behind it. That's not important all of a sudden. Except, of course, if you challenge it. If you challenge them, then, then you're in the, in the pocket of the big oil companies, right? You and I apparently are getting big checks from oil companies. Uh, I, I still haven't cashed one. I'm waiting for mine. I haven't even seen mine. Hey, you know what? It it turns out I haven't even gotten one. You know what? We need to check into this. You're a lawyer. You could sue someone. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you have the power. I've been so I've been so uh, good about you know advancing the the anti climate change (laughs) thing. So maybe you know somebody should be. Well, actually, it's funny uh, for the sort of a closing point. You in joking we hit upon something. Oh, he's closing things here. now. That's great. No, you'll close, <laughs> but I'm going to feed you the, I'm going to serve it on a platter for you, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, people, skeptics of what you just put out, skeptics and deniers of Barack Lurie's brilliance right. are going to say, what about all those corporations that pay scientists, blah, 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 ignoring for a fact that, for a minute, that uh, a lot of times the corporate scientific project is exactly in alignment with the government one. Oh, yeah. Very much. The bigger the company, the more likely its agenda is exactly the same as the government's. Right. And it it presumes everything we, when they say, what about the corporate um, studies and such like that, it presumes that corporations are somehow conservative, uh, that corporations somehow want to uh, fight the climate change mantra and agenda. They don't. They, they, They love it. They, they want exactly that. More because, expensive oil. <laughs> yes, of course. They, they, they want to restrict the use of fossil fuels. They want to restrict competition. It, what, what could be better than to, to close down oil, oil pipelines? That's exactly what the Obama administration did in, in the first year and a half. And, and then, of course, as a result of that, it led to uh, what is called slant drilling and uh, frack, fracking as well. So the, the, the oil industry responded. But it's, it's just so funny how they, they actually think that, that all companies are these big, gigantic, conservative causes and they're fighting these corporations. Boy, I wish. Yeah, I every, wish that were the to case. To them, every corporation is a heritage foundation. Yes, you know? exactly. Uh, you know, uh, 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 but Apple, uh, IBM for that matter, Google. Microsoft, Google. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine a company that is not a liberal-based company that, that is not trying to tout something. Ford, for example, just donated $100 million to the Black Lives Matter. Don't tell me that they're conservative. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, 
science has become the new God and people don't even realize that they're, they're bowing and hailing and genuflecting to this new God called science. Don't be a fool. Study, understand what science really is. Understand that science is truly imperfect. And if you have that, then you actually might, might go to the very place where science really needs you to go. And that's to find the truly imperfect institution known as God. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Uh, thanks for tuning back in. You know, I wanted to not clarify, but also amplify on the issues of science leading us to God. It, you know, it's precisely the, the fact that if you are always questioning the notion of science and are rigorous about proof and evidence and making sure that it's accurate and, and demanding and be your own worst critic and not simply accept one, for example, uh, study that shows a particular um, uh, result because it's convenient for you, if, if you're really rigorous about it, you will then, uh, and demanding, then you actually will reach the conclusions that are so powerful. The, 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 the conclusion that, that the life is so precious, that life is so difficult to achieve on its own, that, that our, our very uh, existence is owes solely to one incredible improbability. And that in all likelihood, there was a designer to this. In fact, not all likelihood, it's, it's a certainty that a designer was behind this because there's no other uh, conclusion. Even, even Stephen Hawking figured this out because he didn't like the odds, he, but he also didn't like to believe in God. So he fashioned a whole new theory whereby we, there, there are not just one universe you understand, but there is a multiverse where there's billions and billions, if not trillions of other universes out there. And by... By sheer process of, of random odds, therefore, that would increase the chances that among all those universes, well, then there's a good chance, in, in fact, a strong chance that there might be something called life uh, that would happen in one of these universes and were that very universe. Okay? So, but never mind, there's no evidence whatsoever for that. And I bring this up because there's no evidence for one thing. But how, how people who, who worship at the, at the altar of science... Uh, will will simply ignore all the reality that their faith is so strong in science that they will actually ignore the truly scientific evidence that there's a God. 
How, how do you like that for irony? make up all sorts of weird non-science, science, call it science to explain now. Yeah. Yeah. Can I also say... Down, one, is the, down is the new up. Right. Can I say one thing about the theory that you just put forth, uh, the Hawking multiverse theory? Yes. I have a... I just figured out what it really is, and I think you're going to like it. You know what that is? That's called the spinal tap theory of the universe. Ask why. Why? Do you remember the scene where the amplifiers go up to 11? Up to 11, yes. And Marty LaCroix yeah. says, well, why don't you just make it louder but have it still go up to 10? Right. And, and Nigel Tufnell goes, but this is one louder. As if it actually is one louder and not right. just louder overall, right? So if you have multi-universes all bubbling right next to each other, like, like, like champagne bubbles <clears> in, the, in the liquid, right? Don't you really just still have one universe? Just right. more parts to the same one right. universe? Right. This one, <laughs> this one goes to 11. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> it's just a universe that goes to 11 instead of 10. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. It's uh, one universe upon another. But, he, right. but, but, but of course, it begs the question, how, why would there be you know, multiple? Who created right. these multiple universes? It's Father. Just, it's just too stupid. The whole thing is so stupid. Um, and they all, uh, who created the, the individual other trillions of universes? Did they have their independent uh, Big Bangs or were they all in a, it, okay, it's just getting silly. But the, the point is that science is, uh, is the new God and we got to watch out for it. Okay, so today I want to move on to a different topic, this, this moment. Uh, and that is Obama's speech at the UN. It happened a couple of days ago. And here's a speech. This is his last speech that he gave at the UN and talking about uh, international love and charity and things like this. And, and these are very highfalutin words. And these are where international leaders get to meet and talk about love and, you know, peace and charity and all things that mean absolutely nothing in the real world. Uh, and, of course, the way that they go about pushing themselves to that love, peace and charity uh, has no sense of reality and, 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 actually, and actually creates... Yeah. Uh, the very conflict that they, they claim to decry. Okay, I, you, I just want you to phrase it a little differently. I want you to say a whole bunch of international dictators yes. come together to talk about love, For peace, sure. and charity. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. But let's focus on the speech that Obama himself gave and how how bizarre it was because uh, you know, and we'll only take a couple of points. I mean, we'll say, all right. Uh, the first thing that he said is that that I want to bring up at least is that. When he was talking about walls and the notion of having a wall around America, of course, in order to keep out uh, illegal immigration and to preserve the integrity of the United States, right? So what does Obama say? He says, uh, a nation ringed by walls would only imprison itself. Close quote. And then, you know, you, you, you just know that, that he thinks one day, 100 years from now, someone will be quoting, you know, the great President Obama our 44th president, you know, who's as good as, if not better than Lincoln and Washington, who said famously, a nation ringed by walls would only imprison itself, right? I mean, this is, it sounds something nice, but it means absolutely nothing, right? I mean, I, I, I mean it's not like a, a nation divided against itself will not stand, which is, you know, a truism that makes sense. But this is ridiculous. That's, I think that's what he thinks. I think it's on the caliber of nation uh, that that phrase right. is in the same caliber, right? Yeah, but this is Obama. If something sounds a little like something else, he thinks he just hit a profundity, right? You know, uh, uh, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. Gandhi, oh, a nation ringed by walls only imprisons itself. Obama, right? Oh, 
A lot of words. A lot of words. Very important words. Uh, that's Good all he's words. about. He's words. Words. Big words. words. Big words. And that, that's it's all he's ever been. And in fact, this is what liberalism all about, is all about. It's it's words. It's just a bunch of words that mean absolutely nothing, right? I mean, every single thing that they advance. It's usually in the form of words, whether it's written by Karl Marx or Engels or Stalin or Lenin or, or Bernie Sanders, for that matter, or Hillary Clinton or Obama. They're just words that, that mean nothing. Everything about what they say is, is just words. They have no basis in reality, whether it's the pay gap or the minimum wage or that, that we must do something about affirmative action. We must do something about uh, Ferguson. Words, words, words. It's the party of words. Right? There's, there's no action, whereas the Republican Party is really a, par- a party, or at least the conservative side of the Republican Party, is, is a- about not just idealism, but actual action. What, what motivates people, what is human nature, and what, is, what works, for crying out loud. That's why conservatives, there's so, so few of them out in the streets, you know, yelling and screaming all the time. Not only because they have jobs to do, and the liberals, by and large, don't have jobs to do, and that's why they're screaming all the time. But we're, we're the parties of, of doers. We just get it done. You know, we don't talk a lot, uh, other than this podcast. No, no, we don't scream a lot. We don't scream about it, right. We, we focus on the reality of the day. And, and, we and, start, is, and, and when we do scream, we don't scream out slogans that we repeat over and over that mean nothing. Like, like that's the, the, the whole world. Of that yeah, the text of this and, and otherwise. So it, it's, it's claptrap. It's just empty words uh, all day long. And, and that's, this is why we want to... We want to speak about this speech only because it, he's speaking in front of a huge body of people. It's the UN, after all. And, and not only the words themselves and how empty they are, but also the fact that he thinks that people will actually give, deliver great importance, imbue great importance to all of his words, that they're, that they're so weighty that he thinks he's given a great speech and now it's going to, this great wisdom will now descend upon all the the, the countries of the world. And, and they, he's bestowed it, don't you know? He's, he's been just so gracious in giving his, us his wisdom. And this is, this is the way they think. They, they, we just don't care about that. Words are words. It's literally like a resume. I'm, you know, from time to time I look you know, at, at a resume of, of people who might work at this firm. And there really are just words. They mean, they mean nothing to me. I say, okay, well, this is where he graduated. Maybe this, he was a valedictorian, okay. But until he actually does the job, this is, literally means nothing. I don't, in fact, I don't care what college they went to. I don't care how well they did in the college. I just care, can you file the freaking papers <laughs> in the right bin alphabetically? <laughs> and everything else is just words, right? So that's for the file clerk, of course. And then there's the administrator and other lawyers. You know, can you get the job done? That's what I want. I don't want anything else. And, and it's a very important point you just made because if something uh, is filed under O, but it starts with an M, it's going to be really hard to find it again. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a lost <laughs> document. Oh, very frustrating. Um, all right, so here are yeah. some other things that he said. Okay. And I'm, get, I'm taking this from CNN, no less. Um, so they, they write... Um, that um, he painted a dark picture of the future awaiting Americans and the world if the forces of, quote, aggressive nationalism, close quote, or, open quote, crude populism, quote, win out, and he specifically invade against building a wall. This is what we just talked about. So 
aggressive nationalism. What the hell is that is that he's talking about? Well, let me ask why. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, sure. What is aggressive nationalism and what is crude populism? What what are what is he talking about? What great nation is is doing this aggressive nationalism that we're that we're not aware of? Uh, standing at the uh, for the national anthem and cheering when the Yankees win is oh. what those two things sound oh, like to me. Yeah, that's that's horrible. But, but so, it, can I just ask you an important question? He's been in office for seven years. He's had seven years to fundamentally transform this place, other than Caitlyn Jenner. Why is this even a chance of being a problem? <laughs> I, I understand. He, he doesn't have to worry about nationalism. It's true, but like. These are these are monsters that uh, don't exist. He just throws them out there, and this this aggressive nationalism, and then it's you know it's the same monster as uh, glo- climate change. You know, it's it's uh, I guess that's the new climate change, right? That science will prove that there's aggressive nationalism. All right. Uh, next, he says, time and again, human beings have believed they finally arrived at a period of enlightenment, only to repeat cycles of conflict and suffering. Perhaps that's our fate, Obama suggested. We have to remember the chaos, uh, sorry, the, the choices of individual human beings led to repeated world war, Obama said. Each of us as leaders, each nation can choose to reject those who, uh, who appeal to our worst impulses and embrace those who appeal to our best. For we, we have shown that we can choose a better history. All right, let's take this apart. First of all, this notion of enlightenment. What is that? What does enlightenment look like? Well, that's when they voted for him in 2008. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, but no, but, but okay, let's, 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 let's wait before we discuss that, before we joke around about it. what is enlightenment? What does it look like? What is your version of enlightenment and my version of enlightenment, right? This is part of my book. What is, what is the ideal form of society, right? Well, obviously knowing God and acting as much as possible in your day and day life with the knowledge of what God would want you to act right. with. Right, and of course the atheists, the atheists will say the opposite. It's a, a utopia will be where there's no God and there's no religion and there's no uh, you know, money even needed and so on. You know, the, the John Lennon song. So that's, that's their version of enlightenment. So it's kind of curious to see what the word enlightenment. But again, it's just a word. Um, and then he talks about repeated cycles of conflict, and perhaps that are, that's our fate. No, sir, it doesn't have to be our fate, but you also have to understand what the answer is. And the answer is not simply saying, let's all just put down our guns, as everyone thinks would be the nice thing. A child does that, right? In the same way that a child thinks that all I need to do you know, to get uh, a yacht is just make more money, he says to, to me. Daddy, you make some more money. Okay, well... How do you how do you do that, son? I mean, I, I I'm I'm a lawyer and I and I do well for myself, but I don't know that I can I can afford a yacht at this point. But this is childish thinking, right? We all it's the exact same thing. Let's well, if people just stopped fighting, there wouldn't be any war. Correct, but but that's not that's not the point, is it? The question is what leads to war, and we've decided this a long time ago. It's kind of an, an obvious one which is that all countries, the only time wars have been fought are, are wars between uh, dictatorships, or at least one dictatorship was involved. Oh, when a dictatorship rises. And one other time wars happen, when Americans get stupid and elect Democrats. Well, we, because it does. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. It, it weakens us. It weakens us. 
when we decide that, that the evil is not real. That's the important thing here. We don't want to go to war. The point is the bad guys do want to go to war, and that's what dictatorships do. Right. But, my, my, but my point about Democrats is when you elect a Democrat, Bill Clinton gives a nuclear weapon to North Korea. When right. you elect Obama, he gives a nuclear weapon to Iran. What does that mean? It means within 20 to 50 years, we're going to have a war with North Korea and or Iran. Yeah, but what they'll say is, well, you went to war in Iraq in, in 2003, so you know they can, they can make that argument all day long, too. That's not the point that I'm making, Ari. I'm, I'm saying to you that wars always are fought between dictatorships, uh, or at least one dictatorship is involved. Two democracies have never fought each other in the history of the world, so maybe you ought to take some information from that, okay, Mr. President? That's that's the point. Yeah, but this is what Obama does constantly. He uh, he blames a problem on the world, which he himself or Democrats have done. I, I, I agree. And his answer is to just lay down and why don't you see my vision of the world? And I just can't understand why you, Iran, why you, Syria, just can't seem to get along. That's the point. And and, and it's, it's the words that he, he's using. He never bothering to look as to why these things are happening in the first place. And then, and then, but always coming with the wrong answers. It's it's because of uh, aggressive nationalism, like we just talked about. Right. All right. Or or insane, you know, radical Islam. Oh, that's right. We don't say radical Islam when it comes to that. So, all right. Um, I believe this moment we all have a choice. Obama said, "We can choose to press forward with a better model of cooperation and integration, or we can retreat into a world sharply divided and ultimately in conflict." along age-old lines of nation and tribe and race and religion. I want to suggest to you today that we must go forward and not back. Okay. Again, rhetorically, Ari, what the frig does this mean? It, it, it can only mean one thing. First of all, as if somehow he was the one who decided, hey, let's, let's not fight anymore. Okay, first of all, nationalism is a good thing. Secondly, religion, a good thing. Um, tribe, okay, not necessarily, and certainly race, you, you don't fight among race, but but that's just, but race is not even relevant. It's just, it's not even, it should not be an issue. You're the one, sir, who, who is making race the big issue. And, and if, if only we embrace more religion, then we would have a, a lot of the peace and quiet that you're, you claim to, to want so much. But what he's really doing is he's saying, I don't want any borders. I don't want any differentiation. I want a one world government. That's what he's really pursuing. But it, it, of course, there's no basis in reality for it. When it's, whenever it's been tried, it's always been disastrous. This is the world that Obama wants to to advance. But it's not just Obama. It's liberalism itself, isn't it? I mean, that, that John Lennon song, Imagine, I, I think when he wrote it, I, I think John Lennon, when he wrote that song, he, he said this, uh, you know, it was just kind of like a, a quip and it was kind of a cute little thing. And, and I think he actually believed it, by the way. But it was childish. He knew it was childish. And he thought, well, why not just had this aspiration. Wouldn't it be wonderful we didn't have these, you know, no religion, um, no um, no borders, right? I mean, what, what are the lines that he says? No nations, no countries, yeah. no this, no right. that. Right, which, of course, implies directly, not, not even implies, which more or less states fairly directly that those things are bad, right? Yeah. If, you, if you imagine a world where there's no religion and no countries, no borders, and isn't that a wonderful thing? That must mean, by definition, that religion and borders are terrible, are yeah. bad. And, and that's what this, this president of ours, and for that matter, I think many of our friends on the left, not all of them, but many of our friends on the left, believe. They really believe this crap. The one thing, the, the reason why 
America, why the world is where it is today is largely on account of the British Empire on the one hand and then the American Empire on the other. That's the reason why we have, we have the, the relative peace that we have today. You, you, you think it's bad today? You, you want to see a world without America and without America's um, involvement and influence throughout the world? Uh, just, just make it go poof like that movie, um, It's a Wonderful Life, right? America is not, not a country, it's a person. Let's imagine it to be a person. And just, you know, it's feeling down on the dumps about itself and saying, oh gosh, I had slavery once and I feel really bad about our race relations. I wish I was never born. Right, America. Well, let's take you around and look at what that world would. What would that world look like, right? And then, of course, we'd say, "Oh well, there'd be no more Europe because you know, you, why, why is there no Europe? Why is it totally under communist rule?" Ah, well, you see, you weren't around to stop the Soviet aggression from from expanding as it did, and you didn't have the Marshall Plan, which in, indeed helped the, the European uh, method and everything else. Oh, okay. What about Korea? Uh, you know, well, yeah, the Koreans are enslaved now, all the, the entire peninsula. Why? Well, because you weren't around America to stop the bad guys from yeah, infiltrating. Where are all the whales? Oh, well, because there was no America, there weren't little girls and little boys in America who read whale books who put pressure on the Soviets, the Norwegians, and the Japanese to stop their whaling. Right. So I mean, they killed all the whales even though they didn't need to <laughs> use them anymore. But you get the idea. It's... it's yeah. This this notion it's so it's they they fail to understand the the wonders of America and and uh, they have no sense of reality whatsoever. Yeah. Also, look at the context. The way he speaks, he always speaks from the position of the uh, the powerless. He yeah. talks as if he has no power, no influence, as if he's not even president. You know, if only there could be a day when this and that could maybe happen. If only you people could see it. Aren't right. you the president? Right. What have you been doing these last seven years? Right. Well, he wants to be aspirational. He, that, that's his main legacy. He wants to be the, the aspirational figure. He was there as president, but very much like, uh, I don't know, like Churchill, he wants to be the aspirational figure for the future. He wants to be uh, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. This is how he envisions himself, and this is the way he wants the world to perceive him as well. All right, so let's continue on. Yeah, there was one thing he said. Let, let's continue I, I, to where he talked yeah. about uh, if, because we're not letting the Syrian refugees in. That's like not letting the Jews in from Europe during the Holocaust. Oh, he said that in the UN speech. Yeah, that was in the UN speech. But he fails to complete the analogy by saying, "Well, you know, at the time we were at least bombing the living, you know what, out of the Nazis. Why aren't we bombing the living, you know what, out of ISIS? That's causing the refugees." That's right. In the flee. first place, yeah. Um, he also made a comment about Israel. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, you were saying offline before. Uh, he was. He made a quick comment about how there's violence and terrible terrorism threatening Israel. But you know, and and I, I don't remember the exact words because it's part of this word salad confusion mush that he speaks in. But in the same breath, he then turns it into, but just because. There are reasonable responses to terrorism does not give the Israelis the right to build homes. He basically addressed the Israeli building boom as violating international building zoning rules. Right. Yeah. So as if as if construction of an apartment building is justification to blowing up a bus. Right. Uh, CNN writes this year, the president took issue with both sides actions towards one another uh, regarding the Palestinians and the Israelis. And and he criticized Israel's settlements saying the only path to Middle peace will come when the two sides reconcile deeply held differences. Uh, okay. 
no S Sherlock, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, I mean, right. but but it's not 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 just Israel. I mean, look, we recognize what the Palestinians say. You know what? You know why we know, we know that? Because they keep on telling it to us, and because we have an open press. The Palestinians, by contrast, uh, and, and we're only talking about the leadership, because the Palestinian people themselves are are just victims. Uh, the, but the Palestinian leadership don't bother and don't care about what the Israelis have to say because they don't have freedom of press. And their very essence, their raison d'etre, is to constantly be, constantly be in battle mode. That's it. They're, they're just constantly fighting. That's their, that's their programming. N- not because they're Palestinians, but because they're, it's a dictatorship. Every dictatorship will do the exact same thing. It, must, it, it has to search out for seek and destroy. It's, it's like, a, I don't know, it's, it's like the lion needs to seek out the gazelles and such. Or better yet, they're more, dictatorships are more like locusts. You, you give them a cornfield, it's going to eat all of it. It's not going to say, well, I've had enough, right? It's, it's, it, that's what dictatorships must do. They don't so, respect borders. So they have to point to their people that, don't look at us, the leadership is your problem. It's them, those Jews over there. If it wasn't for those Jews, you'd have a perfect life. So keep us in power, and we'll do something about those Jews. Right, that's right. Um, he says that peace will not come until, quote, Israel recognizes it cannot permanently occupy and sell Palestinian land, close quote. All right, no doubt that that got a lot of uh, clapping. Um, okay, first of all, it's not Palestinian land. Okay, let's get that clear. There is no Palestinian there is no land. Such thing. There's no such thing as Palestine. There's no such thing as Palestinian land. There is such a thing as disputed territories. Okay, that is, is legitimate. You can make that argument. And even that's not, not correct because it's, it's Israeli territory and a lot of Palestinians live on it. Okay, that doesn't make it... Um, uh, uh, occupied territory doesn't make it Palestinian or anything else. Yeah, it's formally yeah. Jordanian and Egyptian territory. Yeah. We have a lot of illegal immigrants in California. That's not disputed territory. We don't call it, you know, Mexico light uh, <laughs> right. or, or something else, you know, Mexican to the north uh, or Cali, Mexico. We, it, it, that, that would be a joke. It would be silly. But it's the, the rule of law says that this is California. And thank you very much. It belongs to the United States. But when it comes to Israel, well, because there are a lot of Palestinians in an area called the West Bank, and Gaza, well, therefore, it's, it's rightfully theirs. H- how so? How so? It was taken from Jordan. It wasn't taken from the Palestinians. Jordan, uh, you know, started this by, by trying to breach into Israel during the Six-Day War. They lost this territory, which is called the West Bank. And then surprise, surprise, they, they wonder why they, they, they lost this land. That's what happens in war. And if you don't believe me, if you think this is the first time this has ever happened... Look at the ever-changing maps of the world, okay? And you'll see throughout Europe, you know, Prussia, Germany, all these... Well, I these, think your analogy these borders. Perfect. Just say, look at California yeah. during the Mexican-American War. Well, but, but well, look at these moving maps where you'll see constantly different colors, constantly changing the maps. And it is every 20 years, there's borders changing constantly. How do you think those borders change? Do you think it's because, you know, the two parties on either side of the border say, you know what, you really deserve more land, and uh, I'm going to give it to you because you guys are just so very nice. No, I'll tell you how it happened. Because the, the, the Prussians were forced out by the Germans or the Lithuanians had to move out because the Russians were coming out. Things were, were pushed around, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, and and the, the, the Jordanians tried to invade. They lost that land. That's just one example of literally hundreds of thousands of microaggressions in war. This is what happens. And, and the, the Israelis didn't start it, the Jordanians did. And they lost it. And the Jordanians don't even want it anymore. 
Okay, so it, it and suddenly it's Israel's problem to make it to to decide that this is called it's going to be called Palestine. For real, this yeah, is this and, is the way they think, right? And then to to further your point, there's this whole area called ISIS now, which is in that borderland of a what's called fluid settling border between Syria and Iraq, and we don't even know what that country is anymore, right? That's and just we true. won't, and 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 uh, this border dispute and real estate dispute, if you will, is not settled with Coldwell Banker in Century Twenty One. You know, this is it's settled with guns, right? Right. Uh, regarding. Let's see. Uh, there, there, be, there appears to be growing contrast uh, between authoritarianism and liberalism right now, he told the assembled readers. And I want everybody to understand, I am not neutral in that contest. Okay, so that's cute where he says the difference between authoritarianism and liberalism. Liberalism, you know, equates with the liberals, right? So he, he must associate himself with that. So anything that's not the Democrat Party is authoritarian. Right, right oh, exactly. Okay, right. got it. Yeah, got but, it. and he's not neutral. No. I'll tell you that. No. <laughs> so uh, this is a, a very uh, a, a very broad stroke sort of thing where it, nothing makes sense at all from this. And there's no, there's no reality based in anything he says. This is, this is liberalism at its very heart, my friends. Right. That these are words and that they mean nothing. They're, they're generally speaking, actually the, the opposite of what what reality is, and then suddenly it's it's upon you, the listener of these words, to 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 correct them, right? It's they they set the they they, they set the tone, they set the words, and you have to now defy it, right? It's not even a burden of proof thing. At least in court, when it's your burden of proof to show that there's a contract, then the judge will correctly you know turn to the other side and say, okay, sir. Now you show me. He's he's shown me basic evidence that there was a contract. You show me, please, why there was not a contract. Okay, that's fair. That's the way it goes. There's burden of proof and rebuttable presumptions and such, but not the same in speeches like this from from Obama, where he he throws out these phrases, and now it's not as if somebody turns to somebody else and says, "Well, now rebut it. Now now prove to me otherwise." You just have to sit and take it, and you 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 can scream all you want with climate change and otherwise. But once they've captured the phrase and captured an idea, you, you can't change them. It's, it's what they, they are right, you are wrong, and that's the end of the story. It doesn't matter how much liberalism has, has failed the world. It doesn't matter how much capitalism and free market enterprise has been so, such a boon for the world. You, you can show that to them all day long, but it, it, the words are all that matter because it's so intellectually facile to, to simply focus on that. That's the reason why. And that's why it disgusts me so much to, to read these words from the, the, the president. Because A, he believes it. And B, I think he believes other people will just fawn over it and, and embrace it themselves. He sees this as his legacy. Words alone are enough. And that's the whole principle of the, the Liberal Party. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk with you next week.